You're listening to the Boots About Business podcast. We share stories from military veterans that have transitioned to the world of business. On the show, you'll hear conversations with business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs that all started their careers wearing boots in the service of the U.S. Armed Forces. This podcast is equal parts about sharing great stories, helping veterans, helping businesses, and fostering a greater understanding of the value veterans can bring to business. And welcome, everybody, to episode number 23 of the Boots About Business podcast. I am your host, Frank Strong, and here with us today is Kent Wilson. He is an Army veteran, having served with the 82nd and the 1st Infantry Division. Today, he is a vice president of a network security company called Bricada, and we'll get into that on the show. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Frank. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Glad to have you. The first question we always ask has to do with the service and asking why you joined. What motivated you to join the Army? Yeah, that's a funny question. So I grew up actually in Santa Barbara, California, and I didn't have very much to want for out there. But I did have a nagging mother who uh, insisted that I have really great, straightforward plans coming out of high school. And at some point when I told her I wanted to take a year off and go be a ski bum, she told me that I, that's fine, but you can't ever come and live here again. And <laughs> She then made the joke of like, why don't you go see what the army has to offer? And at the time I actually went over to the recruiters. I remember just thinking, fine, I'll do that. So I went over to the recruiters and walked through that building, had the air force approach me, had the Marines approach me, had the army approach me. And I say the air force, I actually went by the air force office and there was a sign on the door that told me that their recruiter was out playing golf. So that should have been an indicator that that was the service that I wanted to chase down. But yeah, they might have had a chance to get a little skiing in too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'd always had a strong desire to serve the country. You know, I family, I had a, one family member that was a uh, commissioned officer in the Navy. And it just had sort of been something that I had always in the back of my mind considered. So when she made the joke, I took it to heart and ended up having the conversation with the recruiter. And ironically, he sized me up really quickly and accurately. He figured out this is a kid running away from home from his overbearing parents, played the uh, paratrooper ranger videotape to me. And all of a sudden I was hooked and in. Yeah. So, yeah, that was it. He's probably seen it a million times. <laughs> is your mom going to forgive you for calling her nagging if she listens to this? Yeah, she'll get over it. I think actually that she would have to agree at some point. I think she even went back to the recruiter and said no after I signed up. So Wow. <laughs> so you had to convince her. I didn't have to convince her. The recruiter did all that. He said, you know what? He was 18 and he already signed the line. It's not your choice. Yeah, pretty clear cut. Yeah. So you, you saw the high speed videos. What did you end up doing in the service? Yeah, so I was an infantryman. I joined initially as a paratrooper. So I signed up, was given an opportunity for your enlistment for a, a billet at the 82nd. Mm-hmm. During that time, I actually went through your basic training, became standard mortar infantryman. So an 11 Charlie, made my way over to uh, Fort Bragg and then sort of from there, progressed, had an opportunity to go to ranger school, took that, um, and then ended up in Germany um, and finished out my my military career there. That's awesome. And you got a little math in the Army, too, if you went to the mortars. Did you go anywhere? Do you have any, like, uh, deployments you were in? Yeah, I, I had a fantastic run, actually. So I joined in 93 and was in from 93 to 97. It was during peacetime, which made it challenging to go find real world engagements to sort of kinetically get involved. But during that time, we went through uh, Operation Safe Haven. Yeah, Operation Safe Haven was a situation that developed out of a big mass exodus of Cuban refugees that we were pulling out of the ocean. So they ended up in Panama, where we were housing them for potential immigration in the United States. 
there was a riot that took place down there. So my unit was flown down there, jumped out of planes, circled the facilities and, and sort of kept things under control over the course of the next three to six months. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And we rotated. I've forgotten who the unit was that came in behind us, but I just spent a lot of time down there by the canal when we still had it. And uh, yeah. So was it necessary to jump in order to? No, actually, the jumping that we were doing, a lot of that was sort of show of force stuff that was happening. Uh-huh. So as we went down there, it was also to take advantage of the fact that there was a drop zone and you had a bunch of paratroopers who needed to yeah. get jumps in. Yeah. So it wasn't anything other than an opportunity to. Uh, Does that merit the uh, mustard seed? Was that considered conflict? De- definitely, definitely not a mustard <laughs> seed event. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. I ask everybody this question. Answers are all over the map, but it, I think it's one of the interesting aspects of being in the service, but what was your worst day in uniform? Sure. The worst day in uniform, and some of these are deeply personal. For me, the worst day in uniform would have been actually a day where we had a big crash at our green ramp up at the 82nd. So we had an F-16 barrel into the back of a C-141. The engine dislodged and ran through the entire group of paratroopers that were preparing for a jump that afternoon. Unbelievable. I was actually in a combat lifesaver class at the time, uh-huh. and we remember staring out of the building and seeing Pope Air Force Base kind of on fire, and and all the instructors had to get up and leave and run off, and you know this is one of those looking back on it, but there were a lot of people that I actually trained with, went through basic training with, that ended up on that green ramp during that day, so lost some friends uh, in that event. Yeah, and for people who don't understand what green ramp is, and you explain that real quick. Yeah, sure. So green ramp is the area that was designated for preparing for any of the airborne operations that were taking place. So it was the place where soldiers put their parachutes on, got their combat gear together, and then loaded up onto the planes. So basically the parking lot for the planes where you would load up. Yeah, I guess formatively the impact on your life experience to go through something like that. There are also a lot of great days in the service. What was your best day? So I think my best day, and this is one that has served me so well because I get to talk about it every Veterans Day with the kids. My sons are both at elementary school and I get to walk in, but I was deployed to Bosnia as part of the implementation force during Mm -hmm. NATO's mission there. And we did the transition from I-4 to S-4. But a lot of what I did out there was both overwatch for weapon storage site inspections. And then we also did a lot of PSYOPs where I would operate as security for the PSYOPs teams that were going from city to city or village to village in Bosnia and just assessing the situation in these villages. And One day we pulled up to this tiny little village. The village's name was Kladanj and it was in the afternoon and it had been snowing and we were there in the middle of winter. So this village, which is nestled on this hillside, had a winding road that went up the the side of this hill. And then there were all of these hovels and village buildings. Some of them had been shot up. But as we were waiting there and we were in this convoy, it was about four Humvees, each with 50 caliber machine guns on the top of them or Martin 19s on the top of them. And so big, they looked a little bit scary, but this school bus comes driving by, mm-hmm. goes winding up the hilltop and stops and out pour about 20 little kids that have just gotten out of school for the day. And it was one of these moments where you're like, wait a minute, the kids are going to school. This is this crazy war torn place. There, there's only women and children in these villages because all the men are either dead or are off in some sort of training facility. And these kids come pouring out and they see these vehicles at the bottom of the road. And the first thing they do is hide behind some wooded areas that they've got and start lobbing snowballs down at this long line of vehicles that we've got. And I was was the one in charge of the security detail. If they could fire me now, they would probably. But I was going to say, I told all the guys to put the rifles away. And we started throwing snowballs back up at these kids. And within just a few minutes, they were having trouble getting all the way down the hill with the snowballs. All of a sudden, one of the kids turns and throws a snowball at his buddies. 
he uh, gets launched down the hill by his buddies and ends up in our camp. And, and he now becomes this little machine gunner for us. We're making the snowballs. He's throwing them as fast as he can up the hill. There was this big charge up the hill. They come charging down the hill. In the end of it, we're covered in snow. And there's just screaming parents off to the side, yelling at everybody. And we weren't sure who was in more trouble, the soldiers or the kids. But everyone was sent back to their vehicles, to their homes. And then eventually we were allowed to drink some coffee as a uh, reward for not hurting anybody. But it was the first land war that I can say we lost in Bosnia. <laughs> and, uh, and it was really just a fun day. It was, it, this eye-opening experience where you realize no matter where you are, there's the human condition is pretty universal. Yeah, that's an awesome story. Thanks for sharing that. That's amazing. So, um, what do you think the service taught you? Are there any sort of life lessons that you've gleaned? Oh, I mean, there are so many life lessons and certainly a lot of them that that come back to your career after the fact. But I mean, knowing what right looks like is a big life lesson. Being trusting your instincts, trusting your training, being capable of making a decision. Those are all big things I think that the military taught me. This thing I always tell my kids is you know, heroes don't rise to the occasion. They, they fall back on training. And so I learned a lot about doing things over and over and over again to become proficient and then being able to trust that proficiency to get the job done no matter what. Yeah, that's a great point. So let's get into the business aspect a little bit. And the, so the transition question is obviously, you know, how and how and why did you leave the service and what was your plan? I left the service just because it was sort of time. I uh, had a really wonderful career progression, meaning that in four short years, I'd managed to make my E5 in actually like 23 months. I was up for my E5. E6 promotion, so staff sergeant promotion, and mm -hmm. just felt like there was more that I could do outside of the military than I could do entrenched in some of the bureaucracy that existed there on the enlisted side. So uh, I had always planned to go to college, and I just took the opportunity to go ahead and take my leave. And I was found myself in pretty short order studying biomedical engineering at Duke and was able to sort of carry the, the ball forward from there. So it was, uh, it was just this gut feeling that there was more I could do for the country and for myself outside of the service than in at that point. Let me ask first, how did you get in? So you're in cybersecurity now. How did you get into that? Very circuitously. I think everything in life is about sort of saying yes when opportunities show up and being willing to get uncomfortable for a little while. So I started in cybersecurity about two years after I graduated from college. And it was a friend of mine who had been working at JTFGNO, which was the sort of precursor to Cybercom and a lot of these other places, but had spent a lot of time basically dealing with nation state actors. And, and he was now at working for a manufacturer and selling consulting services. And, and he had come to me and said, you know what, you're actually, you've got a lot of the, interestingly enough, a lot of the programming background necessary to have a conversation with somebody about technical details in network communications. And you're easy enough to talk to, which I think he was wrong there. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, it was somebody just saying, hey, look, I know you, you've never done this before, but you have a language, you have been part of the military, you understand what right looks like, going back to that again. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a shot at working with uh, this first contract was actually, ironically, an FBI contract, so not the DOD, but helping they take their field agents leverage a bunch of threat intel that we were developing at the time for their caseworks. So mm -hmm. that's how I got in as a consultant uh, for a manufacturer. And you've worked for another companies and like, you know, maybe kind of give us the cliff notes of where you were and then where you wound up and what you're doing today. today. Sure. Yeah. No. So I started with Symantec actually. Um, so I got brought in as a professional services lead there. And then we developed what we called the cyber threat analysis program, which was actually an endeavor working with the intelligence community to 
perform fusion analysis, basically taking data that Symantec was getting from commercial taps and places and probes that they had and, and helping the intelligence community corroborate their own things, their own threat intel sources and develop these fusion analysis pieces. So it was kind of the early days of threat intel and was there for the better part of a decade. I was offered a position at Rapid7 to help them grow out a federal program. So I spent some time at Rapid7, and there we spent a lot of time talking about vulnerability management, helping organizations understand their own vulnerability landscape, and then offensive cyber operations as well, because Rapid7 is the steward for the Metasploit project, Mm -hmm. which is a big offensive cybersecurity tool. A lot of red teams and folks like that use that. So we built out a a federal program there, uh, and I was directing that when somebody asked me if I would help lead and build a, an organization here at Bricada, doing something similar, very network focused, but again, just helping a lot of our intelligent community customers do more with technology and cybersecurity. Yeah. And so quick plug for the company, what is it that Bricada does? Yeah. So Bricada is a network detection and response company. We got our start in uh, intrusion detection systems and tying intrusion detection systems with packet captures. So effectively alarms and recordings of what we were seeing on the network. I mean, that grew into something much more comprehensive, giving an analyst everything that they need in order to operationalize their network cybersecurity. So, and that's what we do today. Yeah, very cool. So I was going to ask you, you know, I always make a joke, the knuckle dragging, dumb infantry guy, how do they get into this nerdy world of cyber? But you're obviously a pretty smart dude. You made E5 rapidly, about to be promoted, decided to go off to college. You got into a academic curriculum that's fairly cerebral. But let me ask so I put a slightly different spin on this. What aspects of your military experience do you think has helped you, you know, develop in your, either in your current role or as you developed in the in the world of cybersecurity? I go back to sort of some of those first points that we were talking about. I think the Army teaches you a few things. First off, it makes you very good at learning. So you become somebody who's very trainable in the military. Mm-hmm. You also get a good insight on how to train people. You also know what it's like to be led. You get a, more opportunities to be led than anybody probably gets in a very short period of time. So you see good leaders, you see bad leaders, and you have an opportunity to take notes in all those cases about what you liked and what you didn't like. I mean, the other thing you learn also is that nothing that you learn is actually going to be applied the way it was taught to you. And so you have to be able to take those lessons and pivot very quickly. And so you get a lot of opportunity to do that, to go ahead and say, hey, I know what I've been trained here and I have to adjust a fire, uh, to use a mortar term here, to make, yeah. this, to make this effective. So, you know, what did I learn in the military? I learned how to take orders. I learned how to give orders. I learned how to learn. I learned that everything worth doing is hard work. The corollary to that, which I sometimes screw up, is hard work doesn't make it worth doing. But I really do think that you just get comfortable working hard and making decisions. I love the point about the the things that you learn in training, the, the practical application of that is sometimes different because that's the real world, right? That's everything. And so you have this chance to do that over and over again in the service. I think it's a, a great point. Do you feel that cyber is in generally, is that is that a good field for veterans? I think cyber is a great field for anyone. If I, you know, anecdotes I have just quickly about sort of my thoughts about cyber. I was a kinetic guy in the army. And when I got out, I was convinced that I needed to remain kinetic. In fact, I went and looked at Blackwater, which, you know, I guess now it is Academy or whoever, and was thinking that I was going to go back and contract. And I spent a lot of time sort of regretting that I had left and hadn't stayed down that particular path. I thought of myself as a gunfighter and, and all of the guys that I worked with had moved on. They were doing special forces work. They were buddies in Delta. And he, I had this opportunity to have dinner with him six, seven years later. And he took me out with his whole team, actually. So we went to Fogo to Chowdown in DC and, and had this wonderful dinner. 
And I was sort of fanboying sitting there with all these guys that I thought were so badass. And there was this moment where I said, God, you know, I, I sometimes just wish I'd stayed in and stuck with you guys. And he goes, hold on, what are you talking about? Like, I make an impact. I know exactly which bad guys I'm putting down, but it's so limited. The scope is so narrow. The things that you are doing in cyber and the way that you're protecting things have such a broader impact and they're so much more impactful. And it, candidly, that's the way the warfighting domains are shifting. We're, we're not doing as much in the traditional land, sea, and air. A lot of this is now being handled on the cyber side of things. So to answer that question in a very long-winded way, cyber is incredibly important. The big point here is just that, yes, it is a good field that the warfighting domain has completely changed. It's one of these rare places that a veteran actually has the opportunity to kind of be ahead of the curve of what industry is doing. A lot of what industry does was learned by taking their examples from the military. Mm-hmm. Cyber continues to be a place where you have are on equal footing with industry as a veteran. Yeah, that's interesting. One of the things that you said that stands out for me is you... You were talking about how you you know you're admiring all these this high speed team that you're with, and they're in turn admiring you. And their comment back was that you still have a purpose. And I think that's something that veterans really struggle with when they get out. When you wear the uniform and you've got you know the American patch, American flag on your sleeve, you have this sense of pride, like you know you're part of this this higher purpose. But in cybersecurity, you still have a purpose every day. Like it's it's very real. The impact is very real. I wonder what your thoughts are about that. It can't be overstated. The fact is that a lot of what people get about, a lot of what people get out of their military experience is that sense of every day knowing that what you're doing matters, knowing that you are doing it for a greater good or a greater cause. Mm -hmm. And when you transition out and after you've been sort of institutionalized to some degree with that, it can be really challenging. I even, even after only four years, when I joined the workforce, I was initially doing, uh, I was a mortgage broker and I was working with my dad who kept saying, you know, Kent, every time you get a loan for somebody, you're putting them in a house that should make you feel good. And, and all I kept thinking was every time I sell a loan to somebody, there's somebody else out there trying to do it for a better price or to take money from them. And so I always just felt like I was in some very weird money focused industry that was not actually really improving people's lives. They were getting loans and then they had to pay loans forever. So yeah. the point is that it is really challenging to find those those opportunities in your career where you still get to give back and you can do that in public service. But cyber is a great way where the things that you're doing are going to have an impact, a very positive impact on the world and the, the companies and the people around you. Yeah. I have a bunch of nephews that are, they're all young adults now, 18, 19, 20. And they're always asking me about, you know, should they join the service? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of it. I, I, I do encourage them to do the research, check out all the different recruiters, but I always push them towards cybersecurity, whether it's in the Army or the Air Force, because you get real world experience. You get all kinds of training and maybe certifications. And obviously, the, you know, from the civilian side, I see the field is, is just growing. Like the demand for talent is unsatisfied. It, you just can't keep up with it. So I want to ask you for maybe kids thinking about going in the service or veterans that are transitioning that aren't necessarily doing something technical, right? They haven't gone down that cyber field. They're not in communications or something of that nature. What advice would you have for them if they have this, they're listening to you and they have this interest in cybersecurity? What should they start thinking about? What are the things they should do to to get prepared? So 
There are some interesting programs out there. So you've got your transition assistance programs, I think, that the military provides. And mm -hmm. I think that there's probably a lot that if this really is an interest, I guess I would just start by saying nobody's going to give you anything. You need to go out and research things on your own. You have to be impassioned. People want to see that passion. They also want to see whether you, you know, the most experienced person or not, people will absolutely make hiring decisions based on somebody's willingness to learn, to get stuck in and make it happen. So there's these great transition programs that you need to research to find to get into. I worked with a company called With You With Me, which is another fun organization that's focused on taking that veteran experience and giving people instructor-led training that translates directly from their military experience into the cyber industries. So something for people to look up, give them a little plug here, but With You With Me. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes for sure. And so I just think... Validating that you really have an interest and an aptitude, I, I think at some point there are ASVAB tests and other aptitude tests where maybe it's not worth chasing cyber because you hear that there's a whole lot of money. If it's not something that you're going to be good at, if you don't have the analytical mindset that's necessary to think through cyber problems, if you don't have the technical acumen or the desire to maintain the technical acumen, those are going to be hurdles that are probably difficult to get over. Yeah. So quick follow up there to that. And we hadn't talked about this previously, but this has been a discussion that I've heard in the technology world forever is that you don't necessarily need a college education. Certificate in development, for example, a lot of some developers will say certifications matter more. Having experience matters more. Either you know the language, the programming language, or you don't. I wonder if you have thoughts on that in terms of cybersecurity. There's a lot of flexibility now with GI bills, right? Whether it's the traditional one or the post 9-11, they can spend these on other things other than an academic, you know, traditional university institution. I wonder if you have any thoughts on like training programs they should think about or does, do you have to have a college degree? Does that matter to get into cyber? You definitely don't have to have a college degree. I will tell you, and I grew up, I grew up in a time when college degree really mattered. And I think we've been kind of transitioning from that. Um, I say it really mattered. It didn't do a lot for me when I got out. But what I will tell you is that, and this, this goes even further, networks really matter. So, and when I, what I mean by networks is the networks that you create from a business perspective, from a personal perspective, all of that really matters. So no matter which route you go to, to train, choose areas that are going to network you with people that you admire, that are going to be successful, or that are going to good, be a good resource pool for you as you move out into your into your space. And that was a, a little bit of a tangent, but with respect to things like certs and and stuff like that, they're interesting. I go back to I don't know that anyone ever gets hired because they had a cert. I think you've got things like eighty five seventy, which are commandments that come down suggesting that in order to maintain a certain management role within the hierarchy of government contracting jobs, you have to have certain certifications. Mm -hmm. They want to see that you've got a CISP or a CEH or some of those other things. But I think the most important thing is to to find an area that you're interested in working and then learn what you can about that. And so SANS provides some great courses around any subject matter you can think of. Going to places like Cyberia where you can pick up a lot of just base knowledge and, and understand what you're interested in are all great tools, again, that can Im improve your chances of picking the right path for yourself. Yeah, I will put a link to the SANS Institute in the show notes. They're for sure a reputable organization in terms of training. All right, so we're getting to the end here. And just get, kind of the final thought, you're, you're now on like the management side of business. I really want to ask you about you know advice you have for businesses looking to recruit veterans. What is your experience in terms of hiring? What does a business get when they hire a veteran from your perspective? Sure. I know what I like about hiring veterans is that I'm getting somebody who is adaptable, somebody who is a problem solver. I also understand that if I'm getting somebody, particularly from the enlisted side, who's been there a long time, there's a need to give them some swim lanes. 
But I find that when you give somebody what I would call commander's intent, when you point somebody in the direction and give them the vision and tell them to go take that problem on, Mm -hmm. you have somebody that's not going to stop until that job's done. And so what I really like about hiring vets is just that ability to trust. I'm going to get 100% from them, but knowing where I'm going to have to lend a hand and, and push in places as well. Yeah, right. And sure. I mean, you know, if you need help, you can always go back and ask for help, right? That's never that was discouraged in my experience in uniforms. Not once. And and that's something too, actually, for enlisted people, not enlisted, I'm just sorry, for service members in general. I was talking with somebody earlier today about this. And the thing that I think we both took away from our own careers was that we were always ready and excited to ask when we saw something we liked and we saw somebody doing something that we thought was cool. We went and we asked them how they did it, how they got into it, what they were doing. And we were reflecting back on that because I think we all got very positive answers. But an important thing for anyone who's looking at cybers is don't be afraid. Be fearless about asking these people that you respect and admire questions about what they're doing. There's no way I wouldn't spend five to 10 minutes with somebody answering a question if they came to me asking me, how did I get to where I am? Or what Mm -hmm. is it that I'm doing? Or, you know, any of that. People with egos love to talk about themselves, too. So you can always feed on that, right? Yeah, right. And people are good at stuff, typically have a little bit of ego. Well, and there's a common bond. If you've worn the uniform, like everybody has this shared experience and that goes a long way to, uh, I think, to facilitating conversations. Okay. So if there's somebody listening to the show that is interested in what you have to say, maybe wants to reach out, is there a place that they can find you online? Yeah. LinkedIn is a great place to start. And I will always field questions from there. And then of course, um, my email address is kwilson.com. Yeah. Awesome. We will definitely put a link to that in the show notes. Ken, I want to thank you for your service. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your experience and you know, really helping veterans figure out if cybersecurity, if this world is a fit for them. Well, it was a real pleasure for me and I, I hope it's valuable. Thank you for listening to the Boots About Business podcast. Please know you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you catch your podcasts. And while you are there, won't you leave us a nice review? It'll help the show and in turn help other veterans. Finally, If you know someone that's a veteran in business or is an entrepreneur with a story to share, hit us up using the contact form on the show's website. That's bootsaboutbusiness.com. That's all one word, bootsaboutbusiness.com. Until next time, I am your host, Frank Strong, out here. Boots about business.